You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Are our physical bodies important? As Christians and believers in Jesus, what's our posture towards our bodies? Aren't they just going to burn up anyway? As we continue to look at margin in our series, today we consider what it means to have physical margin, and we look at how important those physical bodies actually are. Um, A 2017 report from the CDC said that the top 10 causes of death in the United States are are as follows. See, I just had to preface the melancholy by by sharing these kinds of statistics with you all. Heart disease, cancer, unintentional injuries, chronic lower respiratory disease, stroke and cerebrovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, influenza, pneumonia, kidney disease, and suicide. And if we look at that list, there are some on that list that you know, maybe caused by hereditary, you know, and, and different things within our DNA. Some of them, um, though, are preventable. And when we couple that with other statistics, which tell us that Americans spend more on prescription drugs, about $1,300 per person, than anyone else in the world. I mean, just kind of think about that for a second. We are the o- most over-medicated society in the world and yet we're dying of preventable diseases as well. And so if we're dying of some preventable diseases and we're over-medicated, then there's something awry there, right? We aren't doing something right. In the early first century, in the ancient uh, Near East and and in that surrounding area, there was a, a belief that kind of sprung up that was called Gnosticism. The word gnosis in Greek means knowledge. And the, the whole premise of, of this belief system was that uh, human beings, and according to worldhistory.org, it's the belief that human beings contain a piece of God, the highest good or a divine spark within themselves, which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans. All physical matter is subject to decay, rotting, and death. Those bodies in the material world created by an inferior being are therefore evil. Trapped in the material world but ignorant of its status, the pieces of God require knowledge or gnosis to inform them of their true status. And that knowledge must come from outside the material world and the agent who brings it is the Savior or Redeemer. Gnosticism infiltrated the theology of the church in the early world. And in some ways, if we look around within the modern church, we see that same belief system somewhat infiltrating the theology and belief system today. And what Gnosticism did was it created this animosity with the physical world, with the body. This pursuit of gnosis or knowledge uh, and the elevation of the spiritual and and mental world also meant sort of a throwing away of the physical world. And the question then becomes, as we consider that, what do our bodies matter? Are our bodies important? 
And if they do, which I think they do, then we should probably consider what that looks like for us as we've been walking through this series looking at the idea of margin, giving ourselves space for things. We, we started out looking at the fact that within the creative order, God said you need rest and time to connect with me. Once every seven days, you need to take a Sabbath to stop, to cease, and to rest to connect with the one who created you. And then we've talked through the idea of margin with with money and with time, with emotions, with grief, and other things. And even as we've walked through this series looking at margin, we've kind of borrowed from C.S. Lewis, who, who wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is kind of his imagination going wild of what the the correspondence would be between a, a demon and his underling, his, his nephew who he's raising up to, to do the same things. And so we've borrowed some quotes throughout this series from C.S. Lewis as he's imagined uh, what that conversation would be like. And today we do the same thing looking at an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. This is what Uncle Screwtape wrote to his his nephew about our physical bodies he said this he said mere excess in food is much less valuable than delicacy its chief use is as a kind of artillery preparation for attacks on chastity on that as on every other subject keep your man in a condition of false spirituality never let him notice the medical aspect Keep him wondering what pride or lack of faith has delivered him into your hands when a simple inquiry into what he's been eating or drinking for the last 24 hours would show him whence your ammunition comes and thus enable him by very little abstinence to imperil your lines of communication. If he must think of the medical side of chastity, feed him the grand lie which we have made the English humans believe that physical exercise in excess and consequent fatigue are especially favorable to this virtue. To find answers to the significance of our body, I think we can go to Scripture looking at this idea of whether or not our bodies really matter in the overall grand scheme of things. And, And commentator and theologian Gordon Fee actually calls the passage that we're looking at this morning one of the more important theological passages in the New Testament about the body, the human body. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's letter, the first letter that we have, uh, that Paul wrote to the early church there in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, reading in the New International Version, it's up on the screen. Uh, if you have a different translation, just know there may be some differences there. Paul writes this to them, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I'll not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore honor God with your body. You know, like much of Paul's letters, he was addressing specific issues that were present in the church at the time. And in the Corinthian church, this idea of Gnosticism, which I mentioned earlier, had, had begun to kind of break forth. And they were using that Gnosticism coupled with Christianity to justify some of their behavior. They said, if the body doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter what I do with it. It doesn't matter that if I unite myself with a prostitute, if I do certain things, that that doesn't matter because the body doesn't matter. It's just going to pass away anyway. And Paul reminds them that their bodies were meant for the Lord. He, he starts out and he says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. And the John Gibson paraphrase of that is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right? Like just because you're able to doesn't mean that you need to do it. You know, we have become such an autonomous culture where we need to fight for our freedom and say, well, I have the right to do this. I mean, even when we walked through COVID for these years, everybody stood on these rights and forgot about the fact that, especially as believers in Jesus Christ, we're connected together as a body. And so Paul's reminding them that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Gnosticism has, has broken into the Corinthians. And they don't think that they need to stay sexually chaste. And that's where this statement comes from. You know, it, it changes the conversation about our bodies when we start thinking about the fact that we are not our own, but we are the Lord. It changes how we look at things. And if we ask ourselves, am I bringing glory to God through my body? And we look in the mirror and we say, wow, that's, yeah. Some of us are like, yeah, I'm doing a great job with it. Others of us are like, break that mirror because I don't want to look at that. Right? But, but we, when we look at things, and again, we have a culture that says, me, mine, my." And Paul is telling us that actually it should be he, him, his. Right? And there's a very big difference in how we engage things when we're looking at the fact that it's not our own. And hey, look, some of us even might be hearing this and bristling over this because, you know, we're, we've got such a strong sense of who we are and, and our freedoms and ability. But Paul tells us we are not our own. We were bought with a price. And what we do with our bodies matter. Paul's promoting chastity, not immorality. He's reminding them that this new way of thinking that Christianity that's come to them newly is, is 
changing the way that they approach things. And Gordon Fee, the the commentator and theologian, he says this, he says, the Corinthian pneumatics understanding of spirituality has allowed them both a false view of freedom, which Paul says everything is permissible, right? And of the body, God will destroy it. From which basis they have argued that going to prostitutes is permissible because the body doesn't matter anyway. So let me do whatever I want with it. And so the Corinthians are trying to justify their immorality and their improper behavior, saying, well, everything's permissible. Like, I can do it. And Paul's reminding them that that what we do with our bodies and who we unite our bodies with matters. Because the sexual relationship that that Paul's talking about here, it's one that's a picture of unity, of two people coming together and becoming one. We can't say that it doesn't mean anything. And again, our culture tries to put no meaning on it whatsoever. To say, hey, it doesn't matter. Like, do whatever feels good. You've got the freedom. It's your body. It's your choice. Whatever, go ahead and do it. And Paul's saying no. It's funny that even 2,000 years later, some of the conversation hasn't changed, right? That there's so many similarities again to what Paul was addressing there. And those who are saying, I can do anything I want with my body, Paul's saying no. That's not the case. In fact, Paul goes a step further and he says that their bodies are the temple of God, specifically the Holy Spirit. If we look a little bit deeper into this passage and and we're familiar with the overall uh, arching story of Scripture back in Old Testament through the New Testament, we know that, that God connected with His people through the tabernacle and then through the temple. And that in the tabernacle and temple, there was a a specific section of the tabernacle and temple that was called the Holy of Holies that only the priest was able to go to. He was only allowed to go there once in a while, like once a year. And, And when he did, he knew that the very presence of God was there in that place. And the words that Paul uses here in Corinthians about this place our bodies as a temple, it's the same, play, the same words that we see throughout Scripture that talk about the place where God resides. That, that holy of holies. This changes the way we look at our bodies again. You think about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And Paul uses that verse to talk about where the Holy Spirit lives. Again, Gordon Fee, in his commentary on this, he says this, in the same way that the temple in Jerusalem housed the presence of the living God, so the Spirit of God is housed in the believer's body. So we think our bodies are not our own and they're the temple of the living God, that this is where God lives now. He's no longer confined to this space within the temple or the tabernacle. No, in fact, Jesus told His followers later on in the Gospel of John that I need to leave, and if I don't leave, then, I won't, then you won't receive the Holy Spirit. Then we follow that into the book of Acts and we see that that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The, the, the promise that, God, that Jesus had given to them of the Holy Spirit came, and no longer was the Holy Spirit resting and residing 
within a temple or tabernacle that was made from human hands. But now the temple of God is the people of God. That He's residing within us. And do I understand it? No. (laughs) It's weird. Like if I go around saying, hey, Jesus is living in me. People are like, all right, I'm going to have you committed. Right? Like, it doesn't make sense. And yet, this is what Paul tells us, and he he tells us this to remind us of the sanctity of our bodies, of the importance of our bodies. Now, I think about what this would look like. You imagine if you... Every day you drive through a neighborhood and you see an ab- abandoned house down the street. And you one day find out that someone's bought it up. And usually when that happens, somebody's either going to buy it and flip it and say, hey, I'm going like, to make lots of money off this. But what happens here is that someone buys it and fixes it up so that they can move in. You see, that's what God does with us. He looks at us. He he sees that abandoned, broken down house. He says, I'm going to invest in that so that I can move in. Not so I can flip it, but so that I can give it value and then move into it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. And Paul says here that we were bought at a price. You see, Jesus bought us at a price not to fix us up and flip us, but so that the Holy Spirit could live within us. Next time that you're not feeling great about yourself, next time that you're feeling down, next time like the fall blues get to you, maybe it's just me, but hey, just remind yourself. Like, hey, Jesus bought me at a price. Not to fix me and flip me, but, but to begin that process of fixing me and, and investing in me. And my father-in-law, he's, he's a contractor. And Carrie and I have known each other. We've been married for 21 years. We've known each other for longer than that. And if I were to think about the pictures in my mind of the house where her parents live, they've been in all sorts of like different transformation in those 20 plus years. You know, at one point, uh, the room that's now her dad's office used to be her parents' bedroom, and there's an addition on. There's all kinds of different things. I think we need to look at God residing in us as the same thing as I look at my in-law's house, that it's always in some kind of transformation. That God's always doing something different there. There's always something new. You know, I think there was a time that when we'd go up and visit, like I'd always be like, what's, what's going to be waiting for us when we go this time? Like they're always doing something new and exciting. And we need to take that same approach and say, the Holy Spirit's living within me not to f- fix me, flip me, and sell me, but so that He can move in. And He's making Himself at home and He's making this house His home and He's changing us from the inside out. And every time we look in the mirror, there's something different about it. There's something that's been transformed. So do our bodies matter? Absolutely. Yeah, they do. Does what we do with them matter? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We're the temple of God But our body also matters because of what Paul says in verse 14. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead and He will raise us also. You see, when Jesus came back from the dead, and when we read in the Gospels about what happened, Jesus showing up, 
he experienced a physical resurrection. It wasn't like Jesus was floating around like Ghostbusters or something, and they're like, oh, look at Jesus. He's a pretty spirit, right? No. If we read the Gospels, it says that, that he had a physical body, that they hugged him, that they touched him, that they even put their fingers in his wounds, which is kind of creepy. I mean, let's be honest about it, right? Like, but, I mean, I would probably be that guy. I mean, be like, I don't believe it until I actually can put my hands on this. And Jesus experienced that, not so that he could show it off, but so that we could experience that same thing. That we would have a physical resurrection. So think about it. If we keep this body forever, look in the mirror and ask yourself, is this really what I want to be stuck with? I mean, you know, don't feel bad about yourself. But I mean, there are times that I'm like, wow, like this is a big question. You know, everyone's got that list of at least 20 questions that they're going to ask God when you come face to face with him. And I'm like, what state am I going to be in? Like, if I have a physical body when I get to heaven, like, is it 25-year-old John? Is it like 55-year-old John? Like, what is it? I mean, I don't know. Inquiring minds want to know, and I guess we won't know until we get there, right? But we shouldn't let ourselves go, right? It, we, it matters how we treat it. You know, I know there are some of us who are like, man, I'm just going to bust that crap out of this thing until I finally die. I'm like going to use every inch and ounce of this thing, and by the time I die, it's just going to fall over, right? Like, I have exercised everything possible. I haven't exercised, but I've exercised every freedom imaginable, and my body then is, is done when I finally die. There are some people, some men that I've met who are like, hey, I, I finally got my wife. Well, pff, you know, she married this body, and this is the body that she's stuck with now, right? And maybe there are wives who have done the same thing. Are we being mindful of the fact that God's given us this shell and what we do with it matters? If our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and they were bought at a price and they are not our own, should we be stewards of what doesn't belong to us? My mama always told me that if you borrow something from someone, if you steward something from somebody, that you return it back either as good or better than how you received it. Like, what's that going to look like when we stand before the Lord and He looks at you and you're like, you're a mess. (laughs) Like, what did you do? I know what I gave you. So how are we stewarding what God has given us? Like something temporary? Like something that's just going to burn out? Are we doing our best to wear it out so that we can just drive it or tow it to the junkyard at the end? Are we taking into consideration what we do with it, what we put into it, how we treat it, how we take care of it? Are we asking ourselves those questions about what am I putting into it? Convicted by certain people in my life who have done a really good job of that. You know, one of my sons has done a really good job of saying, hey, I'm going to be really mindful about the things that I put in my body. And it's changed everything. And I wonder, are we that thoughtful? Because if we don't consider margin in our physical lives, then we're not going to experience that. We're going to just look and we're going to say, hey, I'm just going to run this thing out. I'm going to wear it down and, and that's fine. How are we eating? How are we sleeping? How are we exercising? 
I've said before throughout this series that a marginless life is the devil's playground. And if we're not making sure that we have margin in our time, in our finances, in our food, in our physical lives, then it's going to be hard for us to be healthy. If we're running from appointment to appointment and we're not creating margin and space for ourselves, we will never have physical margin. But we're, we won't. In order to eat right and sleep right and exercise right, like we need to be intentional about it. Like no one got to look healthy and good accidentally. Like you don't just happen to like, hey, this is, you know. I mean, when you're 15 and you're eating like Oreos all the time, like that accidentally happens. But later on in life, you realize I can't put away a half a sleeve of Oreos and actually have a decent looking body. And if you do, then tell me your secret. But, um, so how are we doing in creating margin for ourselves physically? And I fully believe that God created us as holistic beings. That if we're struggling to find margin in one area of our lives, it's going to bleed over. And so if we haven't created margin with our time, then it's going to be hard to have margin with our physical lives as well. And so what do we do with all this? Some questions to ask ourselves for here and for the week and, and going forward. First one's this. How have you viewed your body? You know, have you, and again, like ask yourself honestly. And if you can't give yourself an honest answer, I'm sure there's someone connected to you who can, right? How have you viewed your body? Is it your own? Or have you realized that like you've been like running it out, like you're going to bring this car to 300,000 miles and, you know, by the time you get there, everything's fallen off of it. And then how does it feel to know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Does that convict you? Does it change anything at all? Thinking about what this is, that, as Paul said, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then, Final question is, how, how can you honor God with your body? Again, I, like this is not a sprint. This is a marathon, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I don't do marathons. Like I barely do a 1K and that's it. And that's walking, right? No. Like how are we going to honor God with our body? And it's not going to be overnight success. You know, kind of like my in-law's house, that it's been an evolution over time. What one decision will we make this week that will add some margin to our lives physically that will begin to honor our bodies as the living temple of God is not something expendable to throw away but something that's been gifted to us that we can say hey I'm going to be a steward of what God has given let me pray for us Father, you've gifted us with the temple of God. And some of us haven't been great at, at using that and stewarding that. I'll admit my own imperfection in that. My own limitation in that. But God, you are a God of grace who meets us where we are, who doesn't leave us there, who says, I want to move in. I want to make changes. And God, we can only do 
this through you. We can only find lives of margin as we lean into you, as you give us the strength and the power that that we need. And so God, help us in that. Help us to help each other and to to lean into what that looks like. God, I, I can't do this without help from other people. So God, remind us that we're not lone rangers, that you call us to community, you call us to be the body of Christ, to be the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then you equip us with the tools to make that happen. And so Father, I pray that you'd give us the strength, you'd give us the power, and that we would find margin in our lives to be able to steward what you've given us. We thank you for who you are, what you've done for us, who you call us to be, and what you've allowed us to be as well. We give you ourselves and we pray that we uh, would glorify you even in our physical lives as our bodies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So does knowing that the Holy Spirit resides within you change how you view your body? Because it should. How are you treating your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you being a good steward of what God's given you? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.